Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. So I've just finished this whole series of going through the chapters of your book, oh, High wow. Magic, How to Turn Your Lead into Gold. And uh, it was a lot of fun, especially during these uh, rougher days. So I was able to do shorter little podcast episodes. And at first I was trying to comment as much as I could, like I do on other magical and academic things. But after a while I realized, you know, it, your writing doesn't require much comment, really. Um, it requires more discussion after it's been read. And one of the things... I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're a student of Jason Lauderhand, Paul Foster Case from the Boda School, Builders of the Adidam, right? Yes, yes. And, and you're, you're really, a, in a way, in a strange way, a lineage holder from this line going back to the Golden Dawn that trained Paul Foster Case. Yeah, that's what they told me. That's what they... <laughs> yeah. You know, those guys were so fantastic that I, I just feel like a little P.U. alongside them. A P.U.? Well... About that big. You're, you're Granny Rainbow now, so they're off in the ether and you're, you're the one here at, at 80,000 years of age or something like that, um, <laughs> hol, holding, holding the seeds of a tradition planted long ago. And it's been so cool. Like the ritual work we did this last year and all the conversation we had have been just such a delight and an honor and a treat. 
And you're going to take that to Canada? I'm going to take all your ageless wisdom to Canada. Good. Yes, especially the wonderful insights of Jason Lauderhand, your mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how long did you study with him? 20, 30 years? Longer? I think it was 29, 29 and a half. 29 and a half, every week. Yeah. Nothing would stop me. No, no rain or storm or threat of whatever. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it was, you know, it would, I'd be on a bus and it was pouring rain outside. And, um, so be it. I remember in high school going to my Golden Dawn classes, I would have to go home, get my homework done. I'd get home around four from school and I'd have to really work hard to get all my homework done and my main lesson books done so that I could then take a two and a half hour bus ride to the Golden Dawn Temple to Hooty to study with Frater Ka and Indiva Shadrach, my mentor, and do ritual work till 11. And I was only 15, so they wouldn't allow me to integrate with the other members. The first year they wanted me just to have private lessons, which I was like, oh great, that's fine with me. You know, they didn't want me, some of the older members, I guess, were into some strange stuff at times, or they just wanted to make sure I wasn't gonna lose my shit, I guess as a 15 year old despite having my mother's consent and what they met her. What strange stuff? Well, in the, in, I did find out years later that they, there was at some of the higher levels some, some sex magical practices going on and that's not that strange, right? You know, anyone Hello. who has... No, no. <laughs> I mean, if you're having sex right, you're, it's probably involves some magic. Mm -hmm. Well, in that situation. But no, there was no official weirdness going on in the Golden Dawn Temple as far as I knew or have found out afterwards really because the Golden Dawn is not really a sex magic sort of group. If people want to do that later on in their own practices, that's up to them. It's your own personal life. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the outlook. It's, it's your, you do what you need to do or want to do. Yeah. Very different from school, teacher. <laughs> yeah. If it's, that, you know, if it's the least, you know, they get an X in, in, in your writing if they didn't yeah. do it right. Yeah, well, it's, it was, Golden Dawn practice, I found, was very uh, scholarly. Like, it was a lot of memorizing stuff. It was a lot of being able to reproduce entire charts and lists and names and, and uh, qualities of cards, letters, and astrological meanings, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of that. And then the ritual work was very intense. In your, in your uh, work with Lauderhan and in the Paul Foster case tradition, it's focused more on tarot, right? It's yes. mostly based all around tarot. Well, that's because it's something you can talk about and, you know, there's a lot else going on, but you have to be in a certain frame of mind or understanding. Tarot does force you to have, be in a strange place between creative and analytical, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is good. No. Yeah. One thing you talked about in High Magic, which I, I was interested by, was you, you ha partway through the book started referring to the fourth and fifth dimensions. And these days I've heard some young kids talking about things like fourth and fifth densities. Does that, have you ever heard that description? It's probably the same thing. Probably the same thing, right? I think they are talking, but they're, when they say fourth and fifth densities, I think they're talking about higher vibratory realities that they believe will actually that the planet might actually ascend to. Is that something that was you were considering when you talk about fourth and fifth dimensions and the new earth that you talk about? Yes, the new yes. Jason definitely, I don't, I don't want to say believed, I'm sure he knew 
<laughs> yeah. He could he could see the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's better. It's a lot better. Did you ever do any uh, scrying work with him or uh -uh. ceremonial stuff where he would perceive go all Nostradamus? Yeah, in private. Yeah. Yeah, you guys did some personal work additional to the Thursday night tarot classes, right? Well, I was like a little puppy dog. <laughs> you know, wherever he went, I'd be there. He was very popular, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you would well, go to... Well, you know, not everybody got... Yeah, but he was, he was a lovely person, you know. He was just... He kind of radiated light. I find that if you stay with the mysteries long enough, you pretty much have to, you know? Yeah, I talked to him about that once, and he, he I said, hey, I, I, something weird is happening to me, I think I said to him. <laughs> yeah. I saw light coming out of my fingers or something, and he said, oh, that's par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <sighs> yep, all right. I remember the first time I saw stuff like that and I was like, oh, shit, sometimes it's not in your head. <laughs> sometimes it's in front of your eyes. <laughs> but we don't tell that to everyone because we don't want to get set their expectations too high, do we? Or have them think you're crazy. Right. Yes. So let's not mention this publicly on what? this podcast going out to thousands of listeners. You hear that, trees? So how does nature, how does our physical nature fit into higher fourth and fifth dimension realms in the new earth and in your belief? How does it fit in? Yeah, like what's going to happen, do you think? I mean, you're trespassing across the veil already. Yeah. And you talk I, about it um, often. Well, the, uh, the, the idea was that people bring it to the place where it's just idyllic perfectly wonderful place for everybody yeah yeah do you really think that's something humanity's going to achieve before it maybe ruins the earth <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> well, the perspective of when you wrote high magic and how the world was then was very different to how the world is now wasn't it it was it was like yeah. 20 years ago you wrote it yeah but the, you know, the, uh, the inner meaning remains the same. And you still seem to keep your optimism about the future of humanity and plants well, and animals. Well, he was my nature. teacher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that from him very much, yeah. yeah. Like, in fact, if I'd um, get a little down in the mouth, I think, they, I think there was like two or three times when I complained a little bit. He very gently, um, he, no scolding or anything, but he kind of took me to the place of truth. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, I, he would say things maybe like, sort of along the line of, God made this world. So it has to be okay. Yeah. So, you know, look for the okay parts, and the rest is all it. You know, it's it's what is it? When something's just 
for now, but not for temporary. Like, yeah, it's all just temporary. Interesting. That's yeah. actually a really powerful insight. That's a true adept insight: is to focus on the okay parts, the good parts, the the perennial wisdom, the the true beauty that exists around us, right? Yeah. And the stuff that's all chaos and mishmash, just like ignore it, fuck it, let it let it go by. Yeah. It's temporary. And uh, he also had a lot of faith that, well, not everybody, but a lot more people were going to get the, get it, get the higher wisdom. Or, and they don't need to. Well, let me think. It's the world better now than when I was with him. see much of the world anymore no well not none of us do the last six months since covid yeah. i mean yeah even being back in canada i'm going to be relatively isolated and not seeing much yeah i know i miss you remember when we did the horse invocation yeah that was fun. I found out my suspicions were correct, that, uh, and I always thought it was, but it was actually written by Aleister Crowley. Um, he gets a lot of flack, but but that was a it's a beautiful invocation, the Horus one. Yeah, he was. Um, I don't. I don't have. I used to have a, some words about him. <laughs> I don't have any more. He was on the right track, but then he'd veer off. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of going like that, he'd go like that. He'd like, so he, there's, a, there's, the, there's the path, and he would like be on it, then veer left, then, then veer right, get back on it, veer right. So he's like swerving up, crisscrossing the path. Yeah. Um, occasionally touching truth, and the rest of the time. Yeah, and maybe like every year. <laughs> Once a year, Crowley said something <laughs> smart, <laughs> said something true. <laughs> no, because for a while, and then, you know, we'll go... Well, when I, I, I still read his, his writings, of course, because not only, like, like even yourself, I mean, you're very similar to Aleister Crowley, of course, <laughs> in that you, uh, you do have the teachings of a tradition behind you, and the oral teachings especially. You spend time with someone who has been doing this forever and has gotten to a certain stage and you can't help but pick up on that true Kabbalah that is transmitted from mouth to ear and Crowley did have that right and so you're reading his stuff and then he'll say something absolutely brilliant and insightful and you don't know if it came out of his head or the past masters heads or if it was the inspiration in spirit Asian well, of Jason, the exact moment uh, I, Jason used to give a lot of credit to uh Paul Foster Case. Well, of course, yeah. And then he, somebody in, across the bay, across the across bay. the waters, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Paul Foster Case was trained in a American Golden Dawn Temple of the Alpha at Omega, I believe is how it went. But he also, I believe, did work with some of the people in England. I can't remember who. Uh, maybe McGregor Mathers. That sounds. So right. he was a bit later, but Mathers yeah. is, of course, you know. 
given a lot of credit along with Wynn Westcott. Yeah, Paul Foster Case took out the Enochian magic, the John Dee Enochian stuff. Yeah. Um, so you never got to do much of that, did you? No, I was sad about that. You were sad about that? Oh, well, we should have done more Enochian stuff while I was here. Problem is, I didn't have all the tools, and I, I tend to not like to work with Enochian magic and spirits without the tools. I mean, I have some some usable paper ones which actually work just fine, but I'm sorry we didn't do more Enochian stuff. It's just a slightly different vibe, really. Yeah, well, when I was young, I wanted everything. You wanted to do everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, didn't, I, I didn't want just one thing or another. You know. Actually, we, you actually did get to do a little Enochian stuff with me because every time I would do an invocation, I would open, I would do a sort of a lesser opening of the watchtowers and, and rending the veil of the portal through the uh, call of the portal in Enochian. And I would do that sort of sub voce under my breath. Again, partly not to scare people, partly because when things are really sacred and powerful, you don't necessarily do them loudly. So there, there was that Oh, that's spirit. definitely part of the teaching, yes. Yeah, yes. some things are, I mean, they say in, in the Gondon, we say the most powerful vibration is actually the great voice, which is completely inaudible. It's more just a breath, like the Hebrew letter, hey. Yeah, I always said, hey. 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 Or, or hey is something that grows, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a key letter in the in the in the word ruach, ruach, which is for breath or spirit. Hebrew has a lot of words for that stuff. Neshama, chia, yechida, guf, nefesh. Huh. So I've I've probably told you about this before, but um. You know, Jason worked with Paul, but it began in um, across the sea. Jason and Paul met in England. Yes. Oh wow! And uh, he was like, um, <coughs> "Wow, Paul, you're so cool." And Paul said, "My teacher is way. What's on the other side of?" the sea the world in in india <laughs> yeah in india yes mm. in india paul foster case had indian teachers or maybe spiritual masters over there yeah yeah or or had studied their works because yeah. it goes way way back it was was case very much into blavatsky was was lauderhand into people like blavatsky and stuff I sort of thought they didn't get too deeply into theosophy. Well, you can only... They, they seem to think theosophy will only take you just so far. Yeah. Well, it's quite a mishmash and it's highly criticized. But it is what it is. Yeah. I, look, I look forward to reading... Uh, all of Jason's writings in your compilation of Thursday Night Tarot or the Spoken Kabbalah. Yeah, I should read it. <laughs> you should read that again. We should all keep reading that. Um, once I get back to Canada, I'm going to get grab a copy um, because you can still get it online. You can cool. still buy it on Amazon. And you have tons of nice reviews there, of course. And I, I remember reading them to you when I was first here. I was like, "Did you know you have all these reviews online?" And you're like, "No." 
and I went. We just sat there reading these glowing reviews, dozens and dozens of them. That was that was fun, especially <laughs> since you had no idea they existed. And then uh, all your either you have video lectures online and where you talk about all the cards. Talk about talking. Talk yeah. The birds are coming back as the smoke clears up. It's just the first nice blue day I've seen here in ages. Depending on where you're looking. Uh... Not blue over there. Hi, Birdie! Ah. And I hope you get your uh, your your unpublished tarot for self-realization out. You know, if 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 we uh, even if even if I have to help you from Canada just to get it out. As an ebook or print online, still, still, that's something we can still do. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't need anyone else. And I still text with your daughter, so, so we, I can like, you know, make sure that it's all, uh, it's all above board, and we can make sure that the the money goes to you and her or whatever. Bernie Sanders fund you want to channel it to is probably you're probably just gonna send it to Chank Uger or Bernie Sanders, aren't My you? My daughter doesn't. Um, I don't think she really believes it. In your books, well, she became a scientist and one of the leading experts in dark matter. So I think you had some influence on her writing about spirituality, fourth and fifth dimensions, the new world, reality as we can't see it, light shooting from your hands, like. Your daughter was either going to never speak to you again or become one of the leading scientists in that part of reality that we're most curious about and know the least about. Right? And she's an engineer. She designed the lenses to see dark matter. And she's the daughter of a woman who just described seeing physical light shooting from her hands. So I think there's quite a strong connection there. She just doesn't take the tarot path to it. She takes the, you know, science path, which is fine. You, an occult scientist like you produced a scientist. That's sort of natural spiritual genealogy, isn't it? I guess. I mean, what's yeah. what's greater magic than actually th being the first person to des design a way to see dark matter? What's more magical than that? I think you might have given birth to a true uh, adept on a level that most of us don't even have the capacity to imagine. Mm. That's maybe high praise for your daughter, but she, I think she might deserve it. So I think you should be proud for sure. I've looked into her work and her husband's work and it's it's the top of the pyramid. Like if someone's gonna show us the fourth and fifth dimensions, it's gonna be either her or someone standing on her shoulders, it seems. Hmm. Like, no joke. So you'll be there in the fourth and fifth dimension, rocking yeah, out yeah. with your pals, you know, <laughs> Jason Lauderhand, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, boy, I can't wait. And <laughs> she's gonna be staring through this little series of 5,000 lenses and see you, you know, boogieing down with, with all the, your fellow beatniks. <laughs> did you ever hang out with any of the beatnik crowd in San Francisco back in the, the 50s yeah, and 60s? Yeah. 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 Who, was, who was a favorite of yours that oh, you hung out with? I don't remember names. I can, I know I can, sometimes you need your, your things, your memory jogged, like there's Nick, you know, Ferlinghetti who ran City Right, Light Rain publishing book house which is still there Jack Kerouac Allen Ginsberg Neil Cassidy was on the bus going around around the world 
Then there's other associated people like Ken Kesey, who wrote One Through Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, Kesey I liked. Yeah, Mother Bear actually uh, hung out with him and, and Leary back in the day when they were, as well as, as Ramdas when they were all scientists and stuff. And she was on the farm with Kesey for a while. So you don't recall which beatniks you might have crossed paths with? Oh, all of them. All of them? You were deep in it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You were, you, were, you were clapping with your snaps and, and listen, going to sit-ins or whatever. I don't know much about the... Um, I love the poetry. I've always loved Ginsberg's poetry especially. And the, but the culture and the real lived experience of people yeah, doing what you did. Yeah, I would go to any event. And they all sort of uh, uh, got magnetized to Frisco, as they call it, right? Yeah, right. They're the ones who sort of... Uh, yeah, they came from all over. To go to Frisco. And that's what they always called it too, which everyone hates. Apparently you're not allowed to call it Frisco, you have to call it San Francisco. You can't even call it San Fran, that's what I've been told. I'll yeah. call it whatever I damn well please. <laughs> right? That's what I've always thought. It's like when people say to me, they're like, it's Crowley, not Crowley. I say, oh, do you think me calling him Crowley would upset him? They're like, maybe. I'm like, oh, I must have been doing that by accident then. I would never want to, to tease Uncle Al. <laughs> yeah, call it whatever you want. Inokian, Inokian, tomato, tomato. Obladi, Oblada. Life goes on. Yeah, so tarot for self-realization, I mean, actually even once I'm back in Canada, I could, I could read it out even as, a, as an audiobook and do that sort of thing and send it to you it'd be good to get that that the, those insights because what what's the difference between the tarot for self-realization i have the man one of the manuscripts in my room and i've looked at it like they're like in high magic there i come to places in high magic and of course a lot of that stuff almost all of it i, I know um but then i'll see you'll say things in a certain way here and there and i get glimpses of of that secret stream of oral tradition and personal insight that just comes through us, right? Whether from it's the masters behind us or the master above us. Yeah. Um, and and that's what, what always blows my mind about any occultist writing who's truly tapped in. They, they have these moments where they say something that no one else has said quite like that that gives you an insight you've never had. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what you're looking for, of course. And I saw that a lot in high magic here and there, and in your your, your tarot for self realization even more so because it you're really speaking on just the tarot, and that's the thing you know the best I'd say. Though your high school astrology book is fabulous, some people have listened to my podcast and got it and written and said they d didn't know really what to expect. It wasn't what they expected, and they absolutely love it. Oh, good. Yeah. And like they're like, well, I've never seen an astrology book like this before. I'm like, well, if if you wrote it for high school students, and you even wrote a kindergarten program and day day school, Granny Rainbow's daycare school, and you have a tarot coloring book, all these things unpublished, um, more or less, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen them all, and they're they're just fabulous. Yeah, we can definitely make all that stuff available to people. And there's definitely people interested in seeing that aspect the tarot one one friend uh, was doing self-initiation in the golden dawn for a long time uh chris winters and and then he checked out boda 
and he's been doing Boda exclusively now since getting those courses. He said it, it's taken him deeper into his spirituality than he really expected and is fulfilling him in every way. And, uh, and that's, all, all he, that's all he needs now. Uh, and I was like, that's awesome. That's really great to hear that, that, that the Boda corresponds stuff. He went to some physical groups of local people actually and didn't really like it at all. Didn't, they didn't find they liked his ideas or they, they didn't jive with him. But the, the lessons he was sent from Boda, the weekly courses, which, he, which you did for, how many, is it 20 years of courses they have? Something like that, weekly, you don't know? I don't remember, but it's yeah. a long time. But um, B O T A. Builders of the Aditum. So to me, those two things go together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I drove by their temple in LA a few times when I was down there at the Gold, doing Golden Dawn stuff back like 25 years ago. And always was curious about their physical temple and did you ever go into any of their physical temples or anything? Yeah, Jason and I went twice. Oh yeah? And uh, a little disappointed. He was a little disappointed. Yeah, so it seems like people are a little disappointed by the the physical events and people. But and they the were all like, oh Jason, like wanting to bow at his feet and oh, he's Jesus. like, get up! <laughs> <laughs> mentors uh, she said to me she said when she meets a new student or initiate she always she said she always um, demeans herself as quickly as possible so that they don't start to develop any sort of guru transferences with her she always said you know right away she actually didn't wait any time she would try and make sure she came across as just a fallible sinful human being like everyone else. That is the right way to be. So you agree with her wisdom? Absolutely. And yeah. Jason certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've practiced that same thing since then. It upsets some people, right? Because a lot of people do want you to put on the spiritual voice and the spiritual gaze and, and, and act all Well, if you get on stage, powerful. you can do it. Yeah, right. well, that's a presentation. <laughs> yeah. Or in ritual when you're, you know. Yeah doing Solomonic magic. When we were invoking Horus, you know, you don't invoke Horus timidly. <laughs> no. Right? The invocation starts off, starts off, strike, strike the master chord. Mm. Right? Draw, draw the flaming sword. You don't, you wouldn't want to strike, strike the master chord. Draw, draw the flaming sword. I, I remember Horus Jason doing what you're Avenger. doing. You don't, you don't want to do that. You don't, you don't want to do that. You want to slam your staff on the ground and brandish your sword and you know I mean there's often an extreme in ceremonial magic between um, declaring yourself master of all gods and then humbling yourself as nothing and just a speck of matter in the universe and there's sort of a back and forth in, in a lot of uh, ceremonial magic between those two states and it's believed that that actually causes a kind of sort of spiritual tension that helps you raise energy and also eradicate a lot of the lower parts of your and ego, some people do get, unfortunately, they, like, they tend to believe that they're... Oh, yeah. Yeah. They start totally start to believe their own bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially doing some of the rituals, you can really feel like you're a god after doing them. And that's, I think, where initiation and the spiritual journey has to go hand in hand with magical practice. You need to be on a, it has to be a, I think in his best forms, it's a pious process. Jason said, you are never a god. You are a person. Despite us doing all these magical incantations yes, that say is, we are like the Elohim, we are images of God. Yeah, these, these are gifts from heaven. Or wherever they come from. Yeah. Maybe they come from inside the earth. There's a real tension between us needing to see ourselves never as a God and just as a person, but also declaring ourselves often to be like God so that we command and invoke powerful forces. Well, that we are channels for the God force. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, whatever you yeah, declare. If, yeah, you can really do some work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I, I sort of remember, like, one time I'm pointing at something and it, like, lit up. Yeah. I went, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I pointed at people and they've stood up, but that's about it. <laughs> it's like I'm sweeping the floor. You can at least, you can at least uh, brasso the candlesticks, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, in my training, it was always emphasized that for us, the higher the higher grades we went and the more titles and honoraries we got, the the more we were not just encouraged but often required to do the most menial work you know and that's a really good practice that's yes. a very good yeah jason used to hand me a, a shovel or something you know a I, shovel we need a ditch over there he would say that yeah he'd need a physical ditch yeah and you'd be, you'd be like yeah. yeah yeah and then maybe later i'd say um what was the ditch for he, he said so you can jump over it oh my god <laughs> yeah that's 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 a classic <laughs> I, for a while, I think it was six months or a year, I was, uh, when I was new as an adept and uh, getting ready for my first term as a hierophant on the throne, I was required to sweep him up the 3,000 square feet of, of Temple Tehuti. And I had to do that every single day, even if there was another event or if the floors were getting swept and mopped anyway. So, so well, I remember one day, uh, an initiation day, and I was a, an officer in the temple, not hierophant yet. At, but still a, a new adept, but just veiled. And I had to get there because I knew the officers to prepare and rehearse and then set up for the initiation would be sweeping and mopping and cleaning the whole place, right? Like spick and span. But I was still required to do it. My spiritual discipline that I had been, had been laid out for me at that stage alchemically wasn't negated because of what someone else had to do. Right. So I got there, had to get there at seven, eight in the morning sweep and mop all 3,000 square feet. And when I was finishing the mopping, I, the officers came in to start their cleaning prep and they said, oh, why, why are you doing that? I, I have to do that again anyway. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do. And so do I, <laughs> and it'll just be really clean. And she was like, okay, okay. And I was like, yeah, it's not about, it's more about more than you think it is. Somewhere in my brain, I'm trying to remember <clears throat> how, um, Paul Foster Case 
went to India. It sounds like he might have, yeah, from what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and... Um, We'd Google it if we wanted to be millennial, but us old folks just talk about things instead, right? I don't even know how to Google anything anymore. Do I? I don't know how. I don't think you... You don't want to Google things. <laughs> no one should be Googling things anymore. Yeah, so it's Jason's teacher studied in India. And the Indians, there, I think there was some small island in the ocean over there. Oh, yeah? Where they got this information. Interesting. Huh. I don't know. I'll have to look into that at some point. I don't know much about Paul Foster Case's life. He didn't talk about it. Yeah? That's probably smart. Well... The last thing he wanted was people bowing to him. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah none of us want that. Anyone who wants that, there's your warning flag. You know. It's, it's enough responsibility when you're... I've seen it even right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've seen it. Yeah, that kind of human worship. Human worship doesn't really get us anywhere good, does it? We die and then that's it on that. And if we're all as the gods, right? If you take the Genesis and the Elohim created Adam in their own image, and the image of the Elohim created they, them. I mean, the Elohim is a fun word. I, I, I'm sure you've known this in the past, but Elohim is a masculine plural of a feminine noun. So it's not, they're not even, this is written before, uh, this is written after the Yahwistic writers, uh, the writers who would use yod heh vav -Heh, the Tetragrammaton, to refer to God. And that those stories are actually older in the Bible chapters and the later chapters in Genesis. They were written before the ch Genesis chapter one, which was written by uh, the Elohist, as he's called, because he the the writer of those parts of Genesis would use the name Elohim. Some the writers of some parts of Genesis would use Yod Hey Vav Hey, the Tetragrammaton. Uh -huh. And that and it, we have two different datings of that period. One sixth century and one is I believe fourth century BC. And so we have very distinct representations. And in the, in the Yahwist, who says Yad God is always anthropomorphized. God's walking around. God has a backside. One of my professors, Sally McFay, she'd always say, isn't that interesting? She's like, what? God has a backside? <laughs> and, God, you know, God sees Adam and Eve, like, trying to cover themselves and, and stuff like this, you know. But then a few centuries later, God is in the beginning the Elohim created the world in the six days, seven days, you know, and, and made Adam the archetypal human being in their own image. And it's funny because it, it says their own image because it's referring to a plural word for God that was also used prior to that to refer to councils of gods. Can I get that? Yeah, yeah, definitely get that. We'll take a little pause. Well, the idea of Kether and Malkut being gendered. So if Kether is masculine and Malkut is feminine, 
and they reflect the white and black pillars of Yachin and Boaz. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Kether's in Malkut as Malkut's in Kether and vice versa. Well, I always liked Dion Fortune saying, you know, all the gods are one god and all the goddesses are one goddess and there is one initiator. And that idea of an initiator in Kabbalah yeah, so is, called, is called Simtsum. It's called a process. Simtsum is the idea in Kabbalah that gives birth to the tree of life and the through the three veils of negative existence, the Ain, Ain Sof, and Ain Sofor. And Simtsum is the process that initiates it. And it's a process described in the Sefer Bahir, which is one of the first two Kabbalistic texts, dated to around the second or fourth century, I believe. It's been a while. But the idea is that there's this void this nothingness and nothingness uh, constricted back upon itself creating a, a space and in that space came a ray of light that initiated the sphere of Kether and that overflowing of light flowed down to Hakma and Bina, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, or Hod, Netzach, Yisod, Malkut. And of course, the first time that actual transmission of light happened, the light was too much, and the vessels shattered into pieces, is the story. And they fell down and became the shells, the klipot, and the inverse tree of the demons of night and the queen of Lilith, which shares a sphere with, with Malkut, shares part of a sphere with Malkut, but is only accessed by us through knowledge, the sphere of Da'at, the invisible Sephirah. So that's the, that's the sort of traditional Kabbalistic explanation of yeah, gender I, and creation. I saw all that on a screen when I was young. I guess somebody took me. <laughs> I actually, there, there's a movie of what you just said. Really? Yes. <laughs> and I was just, I was maybe six years old or something. Is it Gone with my, the Wind? My big brother. <laughs> <laughs> took me to the movies. Maybe it was gone with the <laughs> No, that's not the movie. I was yeah. messing. Yeah. Well, it was so long ago. Yeah. You didn't have a TV growing up, did you? Um, yeah. Yeah? My brother makes movies. Does he? Or did. Or did, yeah. Wow. And um was back in, in he the 50s insisted and 60s? on yeah. I remember we had this little machine that he he insisted that my parents get. <coughs> wow. Yeah. His whole life uh, was kind of based on all of that. Wow. Filmmaker brother. What was his name? Roger. Roger. R-O-D-G-E-R, Roger. Oh, I always preferred the Roger with the D. Just seems more fancy. Well, otherwise it's not Roger. It's just... Roger. Roger. Yeah. Roger. Yeah. <laughs> so you remember as a kid Yeah, I was thinking... this little tiny kid, and my brother was... Uh, Six years older, or something like that, and he—he he was just really all wrapped up and interested in it all his whole life. And so, 
when he went to the movies, when my, my parents went to work, I would just get dragged along with him to whatever he was going to go see. And it was a long time ago, but I still remember, especially the impact of it, like this great hand of God reaching out across the screen. And God, of course, is male with a lot of white hair flashing out behind him. <laughs> and I was a little tiny kid like, whoa. <laughs> so it was impressive, but yet you still came to reject that and think. Yeah, well, when I became a teenager, And even in church, uh, the, there were always priests. Yeah. I guess there probably still are an awful lot of priests. Yep. <laughs> like, and then the women would come out and kind of bow to them and like, um, the, the, I, I don't know the word for it, but I, I always thought, that's not right. That's not right. Women gave birth to these men. Mm. Of course, it does take two when it comes to. But I mean, when you actually pop out a kid, it's a woman who's doing it. A lot of us turn to goddess worship in our teens, don't we? <laughs> Realizing this mother nature is much more feminine than. Yeah, you don't hear much about Father Nature. Father Nature. <laughs> Father Nature. Father uh, nature. I, I did go to some some camp that did that oh, yeah? when I was a teenager. My brother would he had to take 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 me wherever he went and he was interested in all these different things. And so um, there was one group that was into Father Nature. How about Brother Nature? Sister Nature. How about all of it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we we get so we get so burdened by words, don't we? And then you go to another language and you find out, like we were discussing with the Ata and Ata issue in Hebrew. Other languages have different genders for things. Like in uh, in German, uh, the moon is a man and the sun's a woman. <laughs> I remember translating a, a poem my German professor, Dr. Eitel Tim, wrote when he was young. And I was tr putting it in English, and I was like, oh, but doesn't it, it makes more sense that, that, uh, that the, uh, the moon is a woman? He's like, nine, nine, and he threw a piece of chalk at me. This <laughs> <laughs> is Diamond and Dizona. But you were right. No. I don't think I necessarily was right. I don't think, like, so in one language, the sun and the moon is male and female, and in another language, it's reversed. Is either of them right? Is that what we're saying? Like, all these, these disgenderizing of everything. It's so culturally and linguistically based. How could one of them be the platonic ultimate truth? You talk a lot about yin and yang in high magic and and uh, the, the way they work together, 
they're not the whole point of yin yang isn't showing that there are these separate things just like the two pillars on the tree of life mm -hmm. aren't showing that the whole point of the tree of life is the middle pillar the pillar of consciousness in between the pillars of force and form masculine and feminine or whatever mercy and severity yakin and boaz so but the purpose of those two the separation by gender and and structure of force and form is to allow the creation it's like the tension of that black and white pillar creates the electricity that generates the consciousness that takes you up the tree did you ever felt feel getting taken up the tree all the time that's what we did yeah. we did that you yeah. did that with me ritual work yeah here comes your friend hello Hi. joining us in the garden it's been a beautiful day huh Nice to not have smoke in the sky. I know. Arissa's yeah. just here drinking up uh, some dragon fruit vitamin water. Staying nice and hydrated. Yeah. Hi. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.com co.uk that's hermetic science enterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know i've uh, talked with the publisher lenny on the podcast before including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the patreon and uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.